Good morning. Oh, thank you. Uh, yes, it still sounds strange to me sometimes. Well, we're going to continue uh, looking into our passage in uh, Philippians. We're going to continue in Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 17. Actually, I had a little um, conversation that happened to me a few weeks ago that reminded me of this passage. Um, it was something like this. I was uh, seeing a patient in her home, and um, one of the patient's friends, um, I think he may have been a little high on something, but he still had a very friendly conversation with me. And he was commenting about you know, how wonderful it was to live in California. He said something like, you know, there are so many opportunities here. It's such a beautiful place. The weather's ideal. Can you think of any other place you would want to be? <laughs> I, and I said, well, uh, actually, there is. And he seemed a little dumbfounded by that. He said, there is? Well, where, where, where would you want to be? And so I said, well, uh, I'd like to be in heaven. And he said, whoa, that's deep, man. Now, the fact is, you know, I, I was born and raised in California, and so were my parents. So for all, um, to a lot of people, for all intents and purposes, California is my home. And, you know, I do enjoy living here. I agree the weather is good. Um, but in this passage we'll look at today in Philippians, we're going to see that um, while this might be my home here on earth, it's actually not really where I belong as a believer. This is really not my home. So we'll pick up where um, Don left off in chapter 3, verse 17. Brethren, join in following my example, and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. Now, Paul, earlier in chapter 3, he spent um, some time describing his own life, how he led his life. He said in the previous passage in verse 14, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul was a man who led his life with a certain purpose in mind. He was focused on doing the will of the Lord. So focused that he likened himself, he compared himself to like being a runner who's running a race and the runner just has his sights set on the finish line and nothing else. He was that focused. Now, Don went over the last week um, seven points for living a victorious Christian life. And Paul, he's describing his life because he doesn't just want himself to be living this victorious life. He wants other believers to be living this life as well. So he tells the Philippians to follow his example. And he says, note those who so walk. It wasn't just Paul, but there were other believers who are very good examples for the Philippians to look at. Uh, perhaps brothers like Timothy and Epaphroditus that were mentioned earlier in the book. Now, one of the points Don mentioned last week was that we should strive to be like the Lord Jesus. Well, how do I do that? Now, of course, I can be reading my Bible. I can be looking at the life of Jesus and trying to learn uh, from his example by reading in the Word. Of course, that's one way we should be. But sometimes there's nothing quite like learning um, from a real-life example living right in front of you. 
the Spirit of the Lord Jesus is inside every believer. And if a believer really is walking close to the Lord, then I should see the life of the Lord Jesus being lived out in front of me in the life of a believer. Now, just in terms of applying this verse to my own personal life, I can say that for myself over the years, I've had a chance to watch a number of older believers, and I've learned a lot from their lives. And now the Philippians, of course, they were very familiar with Paul because he had spent some time with them, staying in Philippi. They knew how he led his life. His example of living a life for the Lord would have been familiar to them. Next, Paul has a warning, though, for the Philippians. He's um, given himself as an example to follow. Now he's giving um, a warning of people not to follow. In verse 18, Paul says, For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. So, who are the people in this verse? Now, these are not just um, regular unsaved people that are caught up in the things of the world. And Paul's weeping about these people. And you know, it, it can, of course, be sad when we see our unsaved friends and family um, having no interest in spiritual things, um, enjoying sin in their lives, and just being caught up with the things of the world, but this is not um, who Paul's referring to. So these are people who had in the past, they had professed to be believers, but now they were displaying the above-mentioned behavior. Maybe they had been prominent people in the church at one point, and maybe they had been false teachers. And now the way these people are living their lives, it's so grieving to Paul that he's weeping when he writes about them. He wants the Philippians to be aware of how these false brethren are living their lives, and he's so concerned about anyone following following their example that he's actually talked about these people a lot before. Because he says, "Um, I have told you about these people often. And it doesn't look like these people were ever really saved. Because Paul says their end is destruction. These people are, are, are on their way to hell. Paul says these people are people whose God is their belly. Now, Paul is not talking about these people um, literally being overweight or literally gluttons, but um, when I put my own interests and desires first and foremost in my life, when my main objective in my life is to cater to my own needs and desires, well, I'm showing in my life that I'm not worshiping God. I'm worshiping me. You can, tell what, you can tell what someone's God is just by looking at their behavior. You know, look at what a person spends all their time and energy on. What is someone passionate about? You know, some people, we could say, have their job as their God. Some people have sports as their God. Some people have hobbies as their God. And really, it's all the same, because in all these cases, people are really set on satisfying their own desires and pleasures with something in the world. Their God is their belly. Paul also says these people um, 
are people whose glory is in their shame. So these people gloried, or they were proud of things which they really should have been ashamed of. You know, these days it seems a lot of people take pride in being in sexual immoral relationships. Some people are proud about defying authority. Now, we don't know exactly what these people were involved in, but they were engaged in sinful lifestyles of some kind. And instead of um, trying to hide what they were doing, they were taking pride in their sinful lifestyles. And last, Paul describes these men as people who set their mind on earthly things. Now, what does it mean to set your mind on earthly things? What's the earthly mindset? When I set my mind on earthly things, I'm really filling my mind with things of the world. It means my thoughts are always just, my thoughts are always earthbound. I'm focused on um, the things this world offers, and it could be thoughts about my career, could be thoughts of just accumulating stuff. Now, it might be easy to think, well, okay, maybe I am a little too focused on my career. Maybe I'm placing too much of a priority on making money, but that doesn't make me an enemy of the cross of Christ. That's mentioned in this verse here, does it? Well, I'll just quote a verse from James. This is James chapter 4, verse 4, if you want to look it up. But it says, Or do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, makes himself a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. If I'm setting my mind on earthly things, just thinking all the time about my life here on earth, I'm actually siding with the enemy. But if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, it doesn't make sense for you to be focused on the things of the world. After all, we don't belong here. In contrast for the people Paul just described in verses 18 and 19, we'll go on to verse 20. Paul says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, will transform our lowly body that may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able to subdue even all things to himself. Really, Paul is saying, it doesn't make sense to set your mind on earthly things. Because after all, you don't belong here. You actually belong in heaven where you're a citizen. Elsewhere in the Bible, this is in the First Peter, believers are referred to as sojourners and pilgrims. In terms of our time here on earth, as believers, we're not permanent residents. I'm really like a stranger in a foreign country on a visit, really just passing through. On my way to heaven. Because heaven's my country, heaven's my homeland. And when you think about the total time frame you're here on Earth, it's really a very tiny fraction of your entire life. Because if you're a believer, you have eternal life. That's going to infinity. Now let's say you live here on this Earth for 100 years. That's, many of us would consider that a very long lifespan on Earth. But 
How big a fraction is that of your eternal life? It's not even one-tenth of your life. It's not one one-hundredth of your eternal life. It's not even one-billionth of your total lifespan when you consider eternity. It's really, um, as, as citizens of heaven, we're really on this earth for a really tiny part of our existence. We're really just sojourners and pilgrims here on this earth on our way to our real home. So when you consider how much more time we're going to be spending on he- in heaven rather than on earth, it really makes a lot more sense to work on accumulating treasure in heaven rather than treasure on earth. Now in verse 21, um, just repeating what Paul says here, for, it says that the Lord Jesus will transform our lowly body that may conform to his glorious body. Now, just like in the present day, you can tell from someone's outward appearance or behavior where they come from, where they're a citizen of, in the future, it'll be obvious when someone is a citizen of heaven. The time will eventually come when we will we'll fully appear to be um, citizens of heaven. We'll be conformed to the Lord Jesus' glorious body, it says. A transformation is going to occur. Now, in this day day and age, it might be possible for someone to alter their their appearance to some extent. You know, I can try and, um, you know, get a a new chain of clothes. I can try and dye my hair and perhaps can try and pass myself off as um, someone from another country. But this is, um, that's, this is a much more radical transformation that's going to happen here. It won't be possible under human terms. The body I have right now is described as lowly. Now, I might do my best to maintain my body. I might work out, work out at the gym for hours and hours every week. I might be able to run a six-minute mile and bench press twice my weight. But the fact is, this body is still lowly because in 80 years, well, I'm not, I'm not gonna live that long. In um, 40 years, if I live that long, if the Lord's gracious, this body is gonna be old and decaying and have lots of health problems. This is really a lowly body. The transformation that the Lord Jesus will make happen will be dramatic because we'll have a glorious body as is described in various other parts of the Bible and it'll be incorruptible, powerful, immortal. That's how it's described in 1 Corinthians. The same power that God will use when he establishes his kingdom on earth will be the same power used to change us. Physically, we'll have glorified bodies like the Lord that are not going to grow old or be susceptible to injury or illness. And more than that, spiritually, I'll be like the Lord because I won't have a sin nature anymore. I won't have to worry about sinning anymore. I'll be perfect in character like the Lord is. But until that time comes, is there a way that we can, we can tell if someone is a citizen of heaven? Is there any way as a believer that you can display your heavenly citizenship? How can you tell if someone is a citizen of heaven?
Now, in terms of being a citizen of different countries today, it can be easy to tell where people are from. You know, we can tell um, perhaps by their style of dress, by their language, by a person's accent, by their physical appearance. Every um, country, every uh, person has certain defining, you could say, national characteristics. And just to give a few examples. So, where do you think these people are from? Why do you say that? How do you know? Sorry? Their clothing. Yes, yes. They're, yeah, their clothing. They're dressed in saris and, yeah. Okay, next slide. Okay, let's say um, this person, pardon my Spanish, it's not that good. Say this person came up, you heard this person greeting someone else saying, Buenos dias, como estas? Where could this person be from? Mexico, yep. Or Texas, yeah, any place where there might be a lot of uh, Spanish speakers. Okay, one more slide, Luke. Okay, and let's say um, you heard this person greeting a friend saying, Ni hao, where is this person from? Very good, okay. Thank you, Luke. Okay, so physically we can tell, you know, just um, by looking at someone's um, behavior or, or language or just appearance, we can say where someone is a citizen of. Now, in terms of being able to tell if a person is a citizen of heaven, well, that's a little different because it's not quite the same as I mentioned in the above examples. You know, as believers, we are all citizens of heaven, but then there are believers all over the world. There are believers not just in America, but in Australia and the Philippines and China and England. And they all dress differently. They all have different customs. They all speak different languages and have different culture. And yet, as a citizen of heaven, you know, whether I was born in America or Canada or the Philippines, there should actually be some, I would say, defining characteristics besides the fact that a person may openly claim to be saved by the Lord Jesus alone. Now, we don't have time to go into all the characteristics uh, a citizen of heaven should have, but we'll just go over some, some highlights. So Jesus said by, um, in the Gospel of John, by this all shall know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. A citizen of heaven should show love towards his or, his or her fellow believers, and really love towards all people. We should, we, should be, we should be known as people by our love. And it's a supernatural kind of love. Now, it's natural for people of the world, if they have like a common background, to have love for one another. Like we see people of the same family, we see people perhaps who grew up in the same neighborhood, who went to the same school, um, we would um, not be surprised if those people have love for one another. But as for believers, well, just looking at us in this room, in terms of our actual background, a lot of us have very little in common. We come from different walks of life. We were born in different places. Um, a lot of us have different occupations. But we have the Lord in common. And because of that, um, we have love for one another, even if we're not related by blood. 
And the kind of love we should have, it should really defy the world's expectations. You know, people who would naturally be enemies, if they're both believers, they're actually suddenly friends, not just friends with brothers. Now, just to give an example, um, well, he's not here right now, but um, Eddie, who uh, comes here, um, he's actually from Lebanon. Then we have Noah here, who was born in Israel. Now, if you know anything about the politics of the Middle East, Lebanon and Israel do not get along. They're actually still technically at war. However, um, because uh, both Noah and Eddie are believers, um, they're not just friends, but they're brothers in Christ. The Apostle John also wrote in the first John, by this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. God tells a believer in Christ how he wants them to walk, or that is how he wants them to live. So a citizen of heaven should have a distinctive lifestyle. Now, uh, believers may not have uh, an accent per se, but they should have a certain way of speaking. Paul says in the epistle to the Colossians that a believer's speech should be always with grace, seasoned with salt. And there shouldn't be any filthy language in there. Believers should be a joyful people. Later in this book, we see Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And the fact is, believers have a lot to be joyful about. A heavenly citizen should be known as a hard worker as workplace, because he or she uh, works for the boss as to the Lord. And not just at work, but at home. A man who is, a married, who is married with heavenly citizenship should be known as a man who loves his wife a lot, as Christ loved the church. And a woman who is a citizen of heaven should be known as being submissive to her husband, as to the Lord. Children with heavenly citizenship should be known as for being obedient to their parents. Now, there are times when we see people from a foreign country, and um, we might look at their clothing, and especially if it's the first time we see someone from a foreign country, we might think, well, they're a little strange. Well, that's, that's, that's odd. Now, I remember when I, when I first went to France, I had this, mo 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 uh, this uh, moment of culture shock because I saw how French people greeted one another. In France, it's not just bonjour. or um, You uh, say hi to a person and you kiss them on their cheek, sometimes four times, depending on where you're from in France. And when I saw that, I said, oh, that's, that's strange. I don't think I could do that. Yeah, so we have those moments where we see uh, someone from another country, we think, wow, that's, that's, that's strange, that's bizarre. But the fact is, if you're a citizen of heaven, um, people around you should, to some degree, think you're actually strange. Because it says in 1 Peter, it's chapter 4, um, people think it's strange when you do not um, engage in the same sinful activities as the rest of the world. Hmm. 
really our citizenship in heaven, it's something um, we really have to appreciate, not take for granted. Going back to the days of Paul, when this epistle to the Philippians was written, Paul had the most valuable coveted citizenship um, in the world at that time. Paul, who wrote this epistle, he was a Roman citizen. And I'll just uh, tell a little story from um, the book of Acts. So there's a time where we see how valuable his uh, citizenship was. So there's a time in Acts chapter 22, Paul had just been taken captive by a Roman commander. There was a, he had just come to Jerusalem, but there was, um, the Jews there were, were not happy to see him, and so he was taken into Roman custody. And the Roman commander, he wanted to find out, well, what's, what's Paul doing to cause all this? So he was going to have Paul bound and interrogated and tortured. Um, however, um, all of a sudden, when Paul reveals he's a Roman citizen, everyone freaks out. I said, whoa, whoa, we touched a Roman citizen. We, were gonna t- we, can't, we can't do that. And uh, we see, too, um, we see how valuable his citizenship was because when the commander comes up to Paul, he um, says to Paul, with a large sum, I purchased this citizenship. We don't know how much exactly the, this commander paid for the, for, to be a Roman citizen, but we know it was a lot of money. And it's apparently a little more complicated than becoming a citizen, say, of the United States today. Now, to become a citizen of the U.S., I mean, if you're born here, that's easy enough. You're automatically a citizen. If you're not, um, you have to go, um, stay here for about five years. Show, um, according to the USA.gov website, show you're a person of good moral character, be at least 18 years old, read and speak English, and take a test, and you can become a citizen. You don't really have to pay a whole lot of money to do it. Not like, Paul, not like this uh, Roman commander did. And we see um, in Paul's time, um, being a Roman citizen had certain advantages. Because in the days of Paul, um, torture was a common practice. Now the Roman commander, he wants some information. He could have just ordered someone to uh, torture um, a person in custody to find out uh, what he wanted to find. Um, and if Paul was just a citizen of Israel, it wouldn't have really mattered. It looks like the, the commander could have had his own way there. But apparently it was um, illegal to try and do this to a Roman. And we don't know what would have happened, but it looks like um, the commander would have been in a lot of trouble if anyone found out. Because we see later, um, when the commander is giving his report to a Roman governor, he makes a very um, careful he takes care not to mention that he actually had Paul bound and that he had ordered to be tortured. That was left out of his report. So we don't know what will have happened to the commander and his troops, but it looks like they would have been in a lot of trouble. And similarly, back in Acts 16, uh, when Paul was in Philippi, Paul was unjustly beaten and imprisoned at that time. And he didn't, re- he didn't reveal his citizenship immediately, but when he did reveal it, the local authorities were again freaked out, thinking, oh, we just did something pretty bad. We just bound a Roman. And another big advantage we see in the scripture uh, that Paul had, um, at one point Paul felt like he was being unfairly judged by a Roman governor named Festus. 
But as a Roman citizen, he had a right to appeal to Caesar. So if he felt like he was getting an unfair trial, he could ask for an audience with the emperor, with the ruler of Rome himself, and have his case judged by him. Now going back to our heavenly citizenship, you know, we shouldn't take it lightly. Because um, you know, we see the Roman commander, he said to Paul, with a large sum, I purchased my citizenship. Now we ourselves, we didn't pay anything to become citizens of heaven. Actually, there was nothing we could have paid. There was nothing we could have done to become citizens of heaven. But the Lord Jesus paid plenty for our citizenship. If you're a believer today, your citizenship was very costly. It's a blood-bought citizenship paid for by the death of the Lord Jesus on the cross. And as believers, we don't want to just be in heaven because it's a beautiful place, but we want to be there because that's where our Savior is, that we're eagerly waiting for, the Lord Jesus. And we don't have time to go over everything in this message, but um, being a citizen of heaven has a lot of advantages, a lot of blessings, more, I should say more blessings than advantages. You know, a citizen, a citizen of Rome could appeal to Caesar. As a citizen of heaven, I can appeal to the Lord anytime. I can have a personal audience for the Lord Jesus in prayer anytime, anywhere. When this, uh, uh, we'll finish the passage with uh, chapter 4, verse 1. Paul says in this last verse, Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Paul's um, giving some encouragement in this last verse. Because a lot of times, uh, believers do need encouragement. It can be very easy to get discouraged in the Christian life. As believers, you know, we, we, we face trials in our lives, we face suffering, and it's not as bad here as it was in Paul's day, but a lot of believers face persecution. We can grow weary, worn down. Maybe some of the Philippians had suffered persecution to the point of physical harm. So Paul has spent some time in this passage warning, against, warning the Philippians against having an earthly mindset. Because the fact is, it can be tempting to set one's mind on earthly things. Now, we can't ever lose our heavenly citizenship. In this present day, it actually is possible to lose one's citizenship. I don't know if you've been, uh, I've been reading a few news articles recently. This past year, there's been some debate in some countries like the US and Britain um, on whether to allow people who have joined uh, ISIS to come back to their home countries. And in some cases, the, the decision has been made to strip someone of their citizenship just because um, the government feels, well, this person's done something too serious here. They could be a threat to the country. We'll never let them back in. 
Now, now, like I said, a believer can never lose their citizenship, but we can act at times like we're not citizens of heaven. Has anyone ever heard the term um, Americanized? Yeah. It refers to like an immigrant who comes to the country, but eventually, you know, they give up their own culture, they give up their own language, um, and, and just uh, take up the American culture in place of their original culture. Now, take myself for instance. I'll just use myself as an example. Um, so, I may look Chinese, my ancestors were Chinese, but I can really say that my family's been very Americanized. On a very good day with law practice, I can maybe write my name in Chinese. So, language-wise, culturally, I'm a lot more American than Chinese. And there can be some pressure um, for a foreign citizen to conform to the environment around them. You know, a lot of times it feels better to not stand out and just fit in with the rest of the crowd. Now, when I, where I grew up uh, in Los Angeles, there were not a whole lot of um, Chinese speakers in my neighborhood. And so it was much easier just to speak English. And um, uh, even though I grew up learn knowing Chinese, I lost the language. Now, going back to the, our passage in Philippians, as citizens of heaven, we feel a certain pressure also. We feel a pressure to be conformed to this world. It can be tempting just to sort of blend in with the unsafe people around us so that we don't stand out from the crowd. But Paul urges the Philippians in this verse to maintain their testimony for the Lord. He tells them to stand fast. Paul encourages them by reminding them how much he loves them. He calls them beloved and longed for. And Paul wants the Philippians to consider the implications of their heavenly citizenship and their future to being conformed to Christ. The fact that my citizenship is in heaven, that the Lord is coming back for me, that he's going to give me a heavenly body, that should give me comfort and strength in living the rest of my days here, the rest of my really short days on earth. Because whatever hardships or trials I'm going through now, however bad it may seem, it doesn't alter the fact that the Lord promises a glorious future in eternity for me. So stand fast in the Lord. Basically, since you have, since you have this great hope as a citizen of heaven, act like the citizen of heaven that you are. And we're here, after all, on this earth just really for a very temporary basis for a reason. The Lord, he wants other people to know him. He wants heaven to be full of citizens to inhabit his heaven. And the Lord's chosen us in the limited time we have left here to do, to, you know, to do that. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your salvation. We thank you for saving us. We thank you for that our citizenship is in heaven. Lord, we pray that you would empower us through your Holy Spirit to live lives worthy of that. We do praise this Lord Jesus in your name.
I asked uh, Luke to play a song on the sound system. If you know it, feel free to sing along. If you don't, just enjoy listening to it. It's actually a song I listen to uh, every couple weeks, just to remind me that um, you know, I might live here, but I'm in the world, but I'm not of the world.